All hail the power of Jesus' name. I think we just lost our words. It goes like this. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. that someday, someday we will join the song of the redeemed up in heaven around your throne and we will forever and ever be saying phrases like holy, holy, holy is the lamb, uh, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Lord, we thank you for that our whole life, our whole life here on this earth is pointing to that point where we will be around your throne. Lord, help us to live in a way and and speak in a way and think in a way that honors you and, and looks forward to that, to that ultimate destination of being around your throne, worshiping you uh, for eternity. Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for this opportunity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, be seated, please. And this uh, little white card in the pew back in front of you is called a connection card. And so if you're with us for the first or second time, uh, praise the Lord. And we would like to know a little bit more about you. So please fill that out and put that in the offering plate. 
uh, at the end of the service. If you're a regular tender, a tender with us, uh, you can put prayer requests on there, and we'll be faithful to uh, pray uh, with for those. Uh, anybody can put a prayer request. You don't have to be regular or tender. Anybody can put a prayer request on there, and we'll be faithful to pray for those. If you want to know more about the church, um, there's some check boxes there in the bottom. If they apply to you, please check one. If not, put that comment here uh, in the comment slash prayer area, and we'll get to that. Uh, real quick, uh, we try, We promised you that we would tell you, uh, you know, about the, the church damage report uh, as soon as we knew. Uh, we don't know yet. We haven't had a number come in. And so as soon as that number does come in, we will uh, try to call a meeting within the next few Sunday nights and, and get that underway and... Uh, and, and let, let the church be informed about everything that's, that's going on as it relates to uh, re, you know, putting the church, the, the damaged part, back together. Okay, So uh, please be in prayer uh, as we continue to go through that process. Well, as we uh, worship today, we're getting toward the end of Ephesians 1. And one of the things that I think you're going to hear time and time again in this message is that we are afforded the same power in our lives that burns deep in our lives, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Amen? And so let's sing about that just now. I can see waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. The sound of nations rising up, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road, I can face every fear of the unknown, I can hear all God's children singing out.
For the record, I stopped that song two measures too early, so it's okay. And that power, the power of the risen Savior Jesus Christ, He has that power because of His great name, amen? The name above all names. Let's sing this song together.
church, let's just bow in his presence. Contemplate his greatness, his great name. Give him praise in your heart. just a moment and it's with great confidence that that name above all name is the head and leader and uh, supreme commander of the church of Jesus Christ amen and so with that we can rest assured as the church of Christ that we are on firm foundation let's sing this great great old hymn
And today we're going to be seeing that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name. We just sing about that, above every name. If we think about the worthiness of Christ, we quickly go to Revelation 5. And let's read this together, church. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the seal and bring seal and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and one of the elders said to me weep no more there's no need for crying here amen because we know the answer Jesus is worthy The world is broken. We do. Do you see the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that we could see it all made new? Please feel free to respond with the choir and the praise team. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Join us. 
Is anyone worthy? If I, this morning, were to ask you to describe the power of God, how would you describe it? When you think of the immeasurable power of God, limitless power of God, what does your thoughts turn to? So describing, thinking, and what about this question? How would you explain the power of God? How would you describe it? When you think of the immeasurable power of God, the limitless nature of his awesome power, how would, what do your thoughts turn to? And then how would you explain the power of God? Just think of this for a moment. Our God speaks and worlds leap into being. That's how powerful he is. 
not only does he uphold the universe by the power of his word, but he actually designed each star. Creative ability of our God. His power actually stretches from galaxies to microbes. Read just this week, thinking about, I think I'm getting this correct, but the density of water was made by God in such a way that a body of water freezes from the top to the bottom instead of the bottom to the top. That's not an accident. That's not evolution. That's the creative power of Almighty God that keeps even a fish alive or any other kind of marine life. Why? Because God's power is beyond the limits of our finite minds to understand. You know, since God is omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful, God is all-powerful, there cannot be degrees of difficulty for God. Is that true? For an omnipotent God, there is no one act that is most powerful. If you were to ask an Old Testament saint to explain, describe, think on the power of God, they would probably say, think about the creation narrative when God speaks and things are made by the spoken word of God. They would also talk about the crossing of the Red Sea, right? They would speak of the Exodus. Why? Because you see this in the Psalms and in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when they think about the raw power of God, they talk about creation, they talk about the Exodus, the fact that God Almighty took the Red Sea, pushed the waters back like you would push water across the gym floor with a squeegee, and then left it dry ground. Awesome power of God. However, there is, maybe we could argue that one thing's not more powerful than the other when you come to God, right? But one thing we can say, there was one most glorious and most revealing, powerful act of God known to all of mankind, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the King from the dead. And so here it is, chapter 1. Let's get a running start from verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, first verb, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. By the way, did y'all pray that prayer this morning before you came in? Raise your hand if you did. Oh, I asked you last week. Let's pray. Let's read these scriptures Before Brother Jeffrey preaches into youth, before you come into this service, why? Because we need enlightened eyes of the heart. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here's where we ended last week. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. So with power in mind, power of God in mind, Paul is going to tell you the first thought that comes to his mind, led by the inspiration of the Spirit, to show you a display of the dramatic power of God. Here it is. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21 A little above all rule. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul, when he speaks of the immeasurable, look, he's piled up synonym upon uh, synonymous term upon synonymous term in order to tell us the great, great, exceeding, immeasurable power of God. And then the thought that comes to his mind as he's exulting in God is to say to us, this power that God works in you is the very power that was exerted in Christ coming forth from the grave. That's a lot to think about. So, in the words of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So Paul has been giving us this in Christ formula all the way from chapter 1 verse 4. And now he brings it full circle to the great person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. The book of Hebrews will remind us something about looking unto Jesus. For the sake of time, don't turn, just listen. Chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, for the sake of time, listen to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, I want to teach you a term that I hope that you will appreciate. And it's the term exult. E-X-U-L-T. How many of you have heard that word before? All right, you think of exulting or exaltation in the Lord. Exaltation. Well, Exalting should be our response to a risen Christ. And not just on Easter Sunday morning. But on every Sunday morning. We should exalt in the Lord. That easy, look it up in Webster's. Pretty easy definition. It actually means to rejoice in and to feel and show a triumphant elation or jubilation. Is there anything, southern terms, if that doesn't get... The resurrection doesn't get your fire burning, then your wood is wet. Resurrection from the dead. The powerful exertion of the power of God to raise Jesus up from the dead is something that we should show elation and jubilation when we think about Jesus. Actually, preaching does that. I'm not the only one that should be exulting in the Word when I'm preaching. You should be too. So, the Bible is expounding what the scripture says. And our response is to exult in the Lord as the word of God is preaching. Not be stone-faced. Right? Bless me if you can, preacher. Entertain me. 
No, the word is designed for us to respond with exaltation. Okay, before we dive into this text, I want to remind you of one more thing. We gather today on the Lord's Day because of two things. A historical reality and because of present reality. All right, think about that for a moment. What is the historical objective fact of the reason why we come to church on Sunday? Resurrection! It is. It is the resurrection of Christ. If there's no resurrection, then there's no church. As a matter of fact, no resurrection, no faith. No resurrection, you're still in your sins. Your faith is empty and futile. So resurrection is so vitally important. So it is because, objectively and historically, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was raised from the dead. That's why we come to church today. But we also gather because of present realities. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And according to this text, he is seated at the right hand of the Almighty. What do we know about that? Well, he reigns and rules. And he's also going to judge the living and the dead. He's in this position of honor, and he rules, and he reigns, and he is present in our service because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And when we lift up our voices to sing about him, you are singing about a present reality. Our God reigns. When we sing a song like, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him king of kings, lord of lords, it's not just what you're going to do in the future. You're already doing it now. Why? Because he rules, and he reigns. He's not applying for the job, folks. Where is he sitting in heaven? Not in the lazy boy, not in the lawn chair. He is on a throne. And he rules. And he reigns. Okay, so we're going to praise God for his dramatic displays of divine power. This is the last point of our outline that finishes chapter 1. Howbeit, we will not quite finish it all today because I can only give you two dramatic displays of the power in one week. The mind can only comprehend what the seat can endure. And some of you, I know you zone out on me and glaze over like a donut. I get it. So here it is. Notice the terminology. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? You know, that's where we get our English word energy. And then that verse, it is a noun. All right, now verse 20. That he worked in Christ. Now has been changed from a noun to a verb. Got it? And here's what he is saying to us in that. If you take verse 20, the same word, and puts it in a verbal form, it is what he brought about in Christ. The very same energy power that works in us, that mighty power with all those synonyms to try to explain what it is, he turns right around and says, This power was exerted in Christ Jesus when he came forth from the grave. The old KJV says, wrought. Anybody got an old King James Version? Wrought. We only had two this morning in our uh, service that has older people. But one lady had a KJV, or two did. Wrought. W-R-O-U-G-H-T. We don't use that word much, but that's a good word. It was wrought in Christ. The NLT says, This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So to use this terminology means that the mighty power of God was effected in Christ when he came up from the grave. So in order for Paul to help us understand the power that is in us, that's operative in us, he uses the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. So is this not what the preaching of the word should do? Is it not what singing should do? It should cause us to exult in the Lord. And so, the scripture says, when he raised Christ from the dead. Mm. Death is the great enemy of mankind. Y'all all agree? There was a day when death, this is just not metaphorical language, this is real reality. There was a day when death, with all of its dark, suffocating grip, held the Son of Man in its grip. Why? Because Jesus voluntarily submitted himself unto death. Jesus said, no man can take my life, but I lay it down willingly. Now folks, look, if there is any power in this world at all, when you consider the sin-cursed world, there is absolutely the power of death. You can't get rid of it. You can't escape it. John Stott says it this way, Death is a bitter and relentless enemy, and it will come to all of us one day. Death, folks, is a wicked intruder. In our world, we tend to view death as something natural. People live, and people die. And then with cosmetics, we try to fix it up when it's over. But death is still death. In its finality, right? This has been the history of mankind since God told Adam. In the day you eat of the forbidden fruit, you will die. Well, people lived a long time. Methuselah, 600, 969 years. But eventually God says, for the most part, it's going to be three score and ten. Y'all figure that out in math? That's 70. By measure of strength, 80. So a lot of you folks are living on gravy, right? If you make it to 80. But here's the deal. You're going to die. And God told us that. So... The biblical perspective is not that it's all natural. The biblical perspective is that it's bitter and that it's wretched and it's an enemy. It tells us that death is ugly. Death is not a friend to be embraced. It is actually an enemy to be shunned. But I want to introduce you to the Son of God who voluntarily yielded himself up to be enveloped in death. But God! Right? By the way, that's what you're going to hear in chapter 2. We have a life-giving God who takes things that are dead and he makes them alive. And you can't make yourself alive. Only Jesus can raise the dead. And so here's the most hideous strength in all the world. Here's the thing that encompasses the human heart and it fills us with fear. Here's the thing that no one will ever escape. You want to talk about a power in the world? We know full well death has a power, doesn't it? doesn't matter how smart or savvy or clever or quick you are. You will not escape death. Death has this power and God himself through the exertion of unfathomable divine power burst asunder death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just imagine on that day in Matthew 28 chronologically. When they see Jesus Christ face to face, having just conquered death. Fresh from the trauma of the grave. And then he says to them, I have all authority. You better believe you have all authority because you have conquered death. So God's power is a life-giving power. It is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead 
that Paul gives this analogy of the power of God. Now, some of you are beginning to think that it's Easter Sunday morning. And that's okay. I want to remind you that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is a day that we come and honor the Lord our God corporately as a body. Why? Because He conquered the grave. Now let's ask a question. I know you know this, but what does resurrection mean? Well, you first got to start with the fact that you literally had a body that was dead. I know this may sound unimportant on a Sunday morning in a Baptist church, and you wonder what does this mean for me. But I'll, folks, I want to remind you that there are people all over this world that profess to be Christians that do not believe that Jesus bodily resurrected. And I wouldn't give you a half of hallelujah chance of heaven if you deny the bodily resurrection of Christ. It's vitally important that you get this and think about this. But here is the body of Jesus, dead. His heart stopped beating. His organs stopped working. And that body, that corpse, was placed in a tomb. He was physically, however, and bodily resurrected, howbeit with a glorified body. Don't let the liberal eggheads in this world convince you that it's just the basis, it's, salvation's just on the basis of the memory of Jesus. Now, folks, we're dealing with a resurrected Lord who came forth physically, bodily, he rose and conquered death. Okay? The Jesus of the Bible was raised physically and bodily from the dead. And because Jesus was buried and rose again the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have that resurrection power living in you. Romans 8, 11 reminds us that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's something we ought to praise God for, right? Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, every child of God can say, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The Son of God plucked the stinger right out of death because of what Jesus accomplished. And I think that we need a fresh glimpse of the risen Lord. I don't know how y'all feel about that, but I'm pretty excited about it today that Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. You look at our country, you look at our world, you look at where we're headed, I want, I want you to realize there is one historical, there's more than one, but this is a historical reality. And unless they can put Jesus back in the grave, we're going to be fine. Our king reigns and rules, and he himself conquered death. So, Paul wants to remind us to praise the Lord for the power exerted when Christ was raised from the dead. Now, here's the deal. Does your life, your worship, your singing, your service reflect that you have a risen Savior? Man, it's difficult to get Baptists out of the bed on a rainy morning to come to church. More or less, consider something bigger like Guatemala or taking a mission trip. Or for some of you, serving in ETC is like the end of your days. It's like seven years of tribulation, right? But think, think about this for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Does my life reflect the fact that I have a living Savior? We're going to talk about this on Easter Sunday morning. Raised for our justification. Wow, we, we think about justification in the death of Christ for our part. You realize you don't even have justification unless he was raised.
raised for our justification. So what about your singing? I am thine, O Lord, I have heard. And then you look around and make sure no one else is watching you as you sing because it's really important how you sound, right, before the Lord, right? What about your service before the Lord? What about your service in this church? Remember, we're going to get to the end of this next week. He's the head of the church, which he paid for by his own blood. So, application here. I think all of us need a fresh glimpse of the risen Lord. I think all of us need to stop and think about what it means for Christ Jesus to conquer death. All right, number two, we praise the Lord for the power displayed in Christ seated at God's right hand. Listen to the words that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, compound sentence, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. The Bible says, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Our God has a throne. Where is it? It's in the heavenly places. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated. Now, this is no doubt an allusion to Psalm 119. I'm sorry, 110. If you want to make your way there, it would be good for you to look at it. But the fact of the matter is, it's just one verse. Seated at the right hand. Listen. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So what is this? It's a messianic enthronement psalm. There are multiple ones. But it is prophesying the seating of the Lord Jesus Christ with all authority in the heavenly places until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. By the way, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Y'all think Jesus' reigning is important and ruling? Not only is there 11 direct quotations to Psalm 119, there are 14 quoted allusions or verbal parallels to Psalm 110. So we've got this powerful demonstration of resurrection... And then we have another participle rendered seating or when he seated him. And he's in the heavenly places and that's where he's ruling and reigning. How did I start the sermon? Historical fact, resurrection, present reality. Where is Christ today, church family? Ruling and reigning in heaven. Now, the Bible calls Jesus, ask the question, why is he seated? Does it mean anything for us for Christ to be seated in heaven. Why the terminology? Well, if you flip over uh, to Hebrews, which we won't yet, but in a minute we will, you'll find that Hebrews 4.14 tells us that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. That's who he is. What do we know about a priest in the Old Testament? He never sat down. He was never seated. Why? Because the work was never accomplished. There were no chairs in the temple, for their work was never done. Day by day, moment by moment, for moment by moment, these earthly priests were busy continually making offerings to God for sin. Yet, some of you, I heard you turning, you're already there ahead of me. Look what the Bible says 
concerning Christ in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12. It would be good for you to put your eyes on this one. Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Does this psalm sound familiar? Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, we ought to exalt in God for this. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you see the strength of the fact that he is our great high priest? He is exalted in heaven. Why? Because he has finished his work by one sacrifice. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's his work on our behalf. Think of this for a moment. He's not seated because he's tired. He's seated because he's finished. It it is finished was actually the battle cry from Calvary, remember? He, He says... In some of those famous words on the cross, he says, it is finished. And we know what that means today. It's the word tetelestai, and it means paid in full. The work has been accomplished. And even when you get over to the book of Hebrews, let me remind you of this passage without you turning. Hebrews chapter 1, if we go back to chapter 1, we we see it all brought together. Listen to verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who does that? The Son of God, who rules and reigns. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where Jesus is today. Where is he seated? At the Almighty's right hand. In the Bible, Hand, right hand, is a metaphor for honor, victory, power, and authority. Jesus will use Psalm 110 in the Gospels, and they challenge him. And in other words, they're thinking, is David saying, my Lord said to my Lord, sit here till I make... Can that be a human being? And Jesus will remind them that that's speaking of him. And they get all worked up and ticked off about him saying, I've got all honor, I've got all victory, I've got all power, I've got all authority. And here's how he deals with it in Mark's gospel. Again, turn if you can. It is Mark. Catch me if you can, right? Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Here's his response. They're asking him to give an answer about his personhood. And in verse 61, but he remained silent, made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds, coming in the clouds of heaven. We know what their response was. They wanted to kill him because they know what it means for him to claim to be at the father's right hand. He is exclusively claiming to have all authority, all power, and all honor. One day, according to Revelation 1-7, the king is coming again. With all authority, all power. 
chapter 1, verse 8 of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And he, he explains his position. Now check this out. The power that Christians must experience is like the power God exerted when Christ was seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you realize the power that God has given you? Not only the power of raising Christ from the dead, but the very power that God used to seat Christ in the heavenly places at God's right hand. And notice what the scripture says. Do we need to worry about things around us? Well, it says far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion. Above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but the one to come. This is the scope of Christ's victory. When he was, when he was exalted and seated at the right hand, the scope of that victory is that he has all authority. He has all power, all dominion. And, the Bible tells us, and above every name that is named. What do y'all know about Ephesus? If I went all the way back to the very first sermon, I talked about the condition of Ephesus. When the gospel came in. When Paul spent those three and a half years in Ephesus. What do we know about it? Well, it was the center of incantations and spirit world. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. And, and they would seek to call out a name that would bless them and protect them. And I want to remind you... Those names don't even exist. Furthermore, that's really what happens in New Ageism in our day. Y'all realize that. They name these quote-unquote spirits. But I want to tell you there's a name above all names. Any name that has ever been named, the name of Jesus is above them all. And he's no hoax, and there's no falsity with him. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, the idea of naming every name that was named spoke directly to the heart of those spiritual powers. The unseen world, I want to remind you, is just as real as the person seated next to you in church today. And when he uses the term authorities and powers, he's referring to what he refers to in Ephesians 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Are y'all listening? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits in high places. What, what does that mean? Well, it means, folks, that there's seraphic beings that exist, whether they're good or bad angels, right? And the fact of the matter is, it is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And you can rest your hope in the name that is above every name, no matter what the world does to you. No matter who comes after you, the power that is in you is the power that God used to seek Christ above all rule, all authority, all powers, no matter who those powers are. Uh, that's a good word for us to hear today. But in the United States of America, we have a closed system of thought. And we, th we think everything has to do with materialism or naturalism. And I'm going to tell you like it is. Satan has hosed you for you to believe that. He's made us think in the United States that it's all about money and materialism and naturalism. And we can just figure everything out by that. Let me tell you something. The enemy's way smarter than you are. And he's hosed 95% of us sitting in this building. Am I being nice? Well, let me say this. We've, most of us, part of the time, are hosed by the enemy when we start thinking about how the world works. Because we think it's materialism and naturalism. But in reality, there's a spirit world, and it's just as real as the person sitting beside you. Don't go grab a book tomorrow on fiction on spiritual warfare. 
It's called fiction for a reason. Here's what I want you to do. Not run out and try to read the next book on demonic warfare. I think you need to rest in Jesus. He is the exalted king. Far above any rule, far above any power, any authority, and dominion. He is, he is over every name that is named. Folks, you don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live in bondage because the God that you belong to has seated you in the heavenly places and all the power that God used in exerting exertion of power to raise Christ from the dead and seat him in heaven lives in you. That same power. Don't live in bondage. The worst devil doesn't come close to far above all power. It doesn't say a little bit. It says he is far above. He's Lord. Our God reigns over the seen and the unseen. He rules over the visible and the invisible. Did you catch this? It's in this age and when else? The age to come. We've been lulled to sleep to think that, you know what, Satan's just got our world right now. But one of these days, in the end, Christ is going to win and he's going to rule and reign. I want to remind you of something. There's a present reality today. He rules and reigns today. He rules and reigns today. And yes, he's going to rule and reign forevermore. But the present reality is don't have bad understandings of end time events. Jesus Christ rules and reigns today. He's the, he's the Lord of glory. And the Bible says, until all his enemies are put under his feet. What is Jesus doing right now? He's in the place of authority. He is ruling and our confidence is that Jesus Christ is not waiting to rule. He rules and he reigns. So, Paul says, although we were dead in trespasses and sins, look at verse 2, verse two chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world. Flip over to verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Y'all see this? See it clearly? Who has been seated in the heavenly places upon his resurrection and ascension? Jesus Christ. Where have you been seated if you're saved? With the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought I was actually living on earth right now. Well, you are. But in reality, when you get to glory, you're going to find out you were already there. You can't be seated and then unseated. As a matter of fact, this is one of the greatest encouragements that you can't lose your salvation. Do you realize that the only way you can be lost once you've been saved is if the Lord Jesus Christ is removed from his seat? Because the only way you're seated there is in Christ. And unless he's taken off his throne... You're safe and secure if you're in Christ, and you will be in heaven one day. Hallelujah for what we learn from the Word of God. So before all of them, Christ is seated. And what is the lesson for you? You are also seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is where we belong, in the heavenly places. But I think sometimes we care more about what's going on in the here and now than we do about what it's going to be like in the future. But in the Bible, we're explained as pilgrims passing through. It's explained that this is not our home. 
Well, when you're seated in the heavenly places, there ought to be a pull to your heart. There ought to be a pull to your affections. I'm getting a glaze over look right here, right? There, and, I, and I think the, the glaze over is materialism and naturalism. I think it's we've been duped, right? We've been asleep way too long, and we're not thinking about this. But remember this. Your American citizenship must always be secondary if you're a believer. It's not the most important citizenship. An American citizenship is a one-way ticket to hell if you don't know Jesus. So think about this for a moment. We're citizens of a new Jerusalem, and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This also reminds me that there's no man with any title or position that is greater than Jesus. That gives me some encouragement in our world right now today in, in 2021. Because there are some people in positions that we're like, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. But there is one who's in a greater position. Far above all rule. Please note that regardless of the man or the title he holds or the position he holds, there is one greater than he. Jesus Christ is above every ruler, past, present, and future. Now, here's the question. Is there hope for the United States of America? Well, I think yes. With repentance, right? But there's also the movement of God. The Bible says in the Proverbs that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. What I tell you, Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. He takes that hand anytime he wants to, and he can move the heart of a king, a president, or whoever it is at any moment and make that president do what he wants him to do. He can do that. Will he? I don't know. But we're commanded to pray for earthly leaders, aren't we? And, buddy, I'm just going to tell you like it is. Confession's good for the soul, right? It's really hard for me to pray for leaders right now. But the Bible tells us we are commanded to pray for those who's in charge. That God has allowed to be in charge. Here's the deal, though. I believe that it is our responsibility to vote for men that reflect the standard of righteousness. Y'all agree? But even if a wicked man occupies the throne, I want to remind you this morning, there's a higher throne. No matter who's there, when the Supreme Court is flawed, which it always is, there's a higher court. Praise God. Don't place your hopes on men. I don't care if it's Republican, Democrat, whatever it is. Don't place your hope in administrations. You need to place your hope, not in a political election, but on a seated king. And that's Christ the Lord. So the resurrection proclaims that he lives and that he lives forever. But the ascension and exaltation proclaims that he reigns and he reigns forever. In our world, in Christendom, sometimes we think that we can trust him as Savior and resurrection and that he lives and we're saved and it's okay. But we rarely move over to the fact that he's seated and he reigns and he rules in other words if you claim to have been raised with Christ which by the way is what Romans 6 says not only were you buried with Christ if you're saved you were raised with Christ so my thing is this if you claim that he has resurrected and he lives and he saved your soul then he ought to be ruling and reigning your life 
you really can't have one without the other, right? He's not only Savior, He is Lord. He's Lord. He is Savior, and He is Lord. I want to remind you today that you can trust our God with your problems, great or small. He's seated in the heavenly places. The exaltation proclaims that He reigns forever. What is the implication? Considering Christ Jesus today on a throne in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and authority, what are the implications for us today? If you didn't listen to anything else, please listen to this. What are the implications of a ruling, reigning, resurrected Lord? First, you must believe in Him or you will perish. It was all fun and games till I got to that place, right? If he has all authority, and I'm not saying that because, ugh, this is what you deserve. I'm not saying this from the attitude of, hey, check this out. You can be smug and smirk and, and do whatever you did during the service while I was preaching and it's all going to be fine. The reality is, unless you bow to this king on the throne, you will suffer forever in hell. That's why preachers preach. And that's why we give the gospel. Because this same God who's on the throne right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's what the Bible says. So I'm encouraging you with a heart of sympathy and mercy to say to you, unless you trust Jesus Christ as Lord, you will forever perish. And what does it mean for believers? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It is the greatest chapter on the resurrection in the entire Bible. And here's how he ends this application. Listen, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Folks, look, in light of the resurrection, just look up the verse above it. Death is swallowed up. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. What is that victory of Christ supposed to do for us as believers? Make you steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. Amen? Praise God that he not only lives, but he reigns. Question, does he reign in your heart? The Bible says that with the mouth, confession is made. Now think about this for a moment. If you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, for with the mouth, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and with the mouth, confession is made. Y'all know what that's called? Expounding and exalting. It moves from, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ came forth from the grave to confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. Have you done that? Have you done that in your own life? Do you know Christ personally? This invitation is for you. Let's pray. God, help us. Lord, thank you for the strength of the scripture that we hear. I thank you for the reception of ears to hear the word. Thank you for the enlightening, the enlightened eyes of the heart. We know that's a gift from you. The natural man cannot discern the things of God. Only those who have enlightened eyes of the heart. 
God, help us to love your truth. May we, may we seek, Lord, to think about the fact that we have a risen Christ and to remember that you rule and you reign. And, Lord, your victory over death is a reminder for us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother David's going to come back, and we're going to sing the song that we started with. Now, I don't know how you sang the same power that rose Jesus from the grave the first time, but if you don't sing it with exultation and jubilant elation, if you don't do it this time, we're going to sing it until 12 o'clock. That'll be 15 minutes. Let's sing it to the glory of the Lord. The same, same power. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us. Lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm the raging sea. Some of that was probably because this guy is a tenor, right? And we're little baritones over here trying to get, you know, trying to get high, right? What a great song. He lives in us. Praise God. Uh, Wes and Miss Kathleen, uh, would y'all come down here? This is Dr. Wes Mullen and his wife, Miss Kathleen. Yeah, you won't get through that way. All right. <laughs> They've lived in Ozark for quite some time, and... They've been visiting our church for quite some time as well, and they uh, have agreed to take the new members' class in days to come. And they will be coming to us for church membership by transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist church. So I want you to welcome Wes and Kathleen Mullen, all right, to our church family. That wasn't hard, was it? No, all right. I'm going to have you go back there where Don is down the aisle, and people can greet you as they go out. To God be the glory. Thank God that he's given us members, and uh, we really are after the crowd. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and join the church. But if people come because the word of God is preached and psalms and hymns that glorify God, church family that serves, then praise God. Amen. Praise God. Maybe you're here and you're thinking about church membership. You can set up a time to speak with me at any time. You'd like to, just call our office and we'd love to talk to you about it. All right? Well, God is good. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Amen. We do. Praise God. All right, Brother David. Let's uh, close today again by singing the doxology together. Praise God. Amen.